Welcome to the Community for Coaches podcast, where we help coaches intentionally and effectively use sports to transform lives. I am your host, Alec Lemon, and today on the podcast, I have Kevin Wardlaw of Toka FC and Jeff Davis of Kansas City, Scott Gallagher, two pretty well-known soccer clubs in Kansas City, and these guys drop a lot of great insight, both 10,000 feet kind of perspective on youth sports down to some practical good advice for directors or parents and and players on their sports journey. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation and enjoy both the experience these guys bring and the humility that they they model for all of us as they just try to work for the for the greater good of kids and families and kind of put their own egos to the side and try to help make each other better. It's a really um, refreshing approach. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. One more thing, guys, before you listen to this podcast, I think it might be helpful to get some context for this conversation. There's actually a video in the description of this podcast that explains the collaboration that these two clubs are doing together. So I think that might make this conversation even more interesting if you watch that collaboration video first. Anyways, enjoy the episode. Okay, well, I'm here with Kevin Wardlaw and Jeff Davis. Uh, Jeff is the one of the directors at Kansas City Scott Gallagher Youth Soccer Club, and Kevin Wardlaw is the executive director at Toka FC, and they've so graciously decided to to come on and join us for the podcast and give us some insight into their experiences um, running youth soccer organizations, and um, also how they have developed a relationship as a cl- at the club level to to collaborate and work together on some different things. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this podcast. So just to give a little more background on Jeff, uh, so you guys get to know him. Jeff, you've been in youth soccer coachings for over 20 years, is that correct? That is correct, here in the Kansas City market. Yeah, and you're originally from St. Louis, is that right? That is correct. Yeah, Don't so... Don't hold that against me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you you played club there, and you um, played for which club there? I played for St. Louis Scott Gallagher. Okay. Growing up for probably 12 to 15 years. Gotcha. And then you came here and, and started... A youth club and then it's kind of evolved and now is called Kansas City Scott Gallagher but it's gone by some other names in the past is that right yeah we were formerly Casey select um, and then when my brother retired from playing uh, it was always kind of a vision of mine to bring the Gallagher brand to the Kansas City market and then when my brother retired and he joined our staff um, it just seemed like a natural progression into what we were looking for and here we are yeah Awesome. And Kevin, you've been also kind of in coaching for over 20 years, youth, youth soccer for about 18, um, and you're, you're coaching still at Mid-America Nazarene and then also doubling up to do Toka FC. So let's see, Toka's been around for? Uh, let's see, we started Toka just short of 10 years ago. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's been a really, really fun opportunity for us to build the club from uh, obviously with you and uh, with Eli and back in the day when it was us three and a few of the guys in the boardroom just talking about ideas so yeah yeah and as some of you may know who are listening I'm a part of Toka as well so I get to work with with Kevin I've got to work with him for let's see here 
almost 10 years with Toka, but then even before that got to play play for Kevin in college. So we have a, um, a long-standing relationship and um, obviously have a lot of respect for him um, on a personal level and learned a lot from him. So this is fun for me, but I'm going to kind of play the, um, the interview here and, and allow you guys to talk more today. So let's start with kind of a big, pic- big picture question. Um, uh, why do you think sports matter? Or, or why, are you, why are youth sports important in our society? Uh, for me personally, it, uh, just talking about the successes and failures. Uh, it's, it's things that, that happened along the way in my playing career when I was young uh, to, to now. Of it just teaches you how to handle things, whether you can walk off and be humble you win a game, you lose a game, you're the same person. Uh, you compete your everything out on the field, leave everything on the field, but uh, it just teaches you how to deal with life uh, and the successes and failures you're gonna you're gonna find along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think my I just reflect on my own career as a as a playing in sports, and for me, I think it it's fun, right? As kids, that's what you want to do. You want to do something that's incredibly fun. And so there's the foundation of that. The sport, you know, has to be fun and has to be something you really enjoy. And then, like Jeff said, man, the life lessons that come out of being a part of a team, specifically in this sport, and, um, you know, being allowed to have the opportunity to face failure and how do you come back from failure and even how do you, how do you, uh, how do you deal with successes even? Um, and then as you get older and you start to have your own goals, you know, what's it look like to be self-motivated? What's it look like for me to now work at my craft to be better at it? And, you know, what an incredible kind of, uh, you know, stair-step approach that sports gives us that, you know, kind of allows us to step into life a little bit more prepared um, for what it's what it's going to do, which is we all know life's going to smack you in the face. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think sports are have always been a massive part of the developmental process for kids and maybe even more so now than maybe ever, is the importance of it, the outlet of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with that 100%. I mean, we've seen this through COVID, how the kids react, and I've actually had multiple conversations with parents about uh, kids are now at a young age having to do school as you know a 12-year-old having to do school like a college kid. Well, that's a stressful piece that they don't know how to deal with. So when they come to a training session or a game, you can see that that kind of, built up frustration or tension in them uh, that it either gives them an outlet or it can in certain instances add on to that stress if they're you know if something's not going right in a game or you know whatever the situation may be uh, it's trying to help them through that process and and like Kevin said let it be fun like right now specifically it's got to be fun for these kids because this is literally their only outlet Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's an important point too. Like, what makes sports different than maybe the goal setting you do in in education or um, school environment is that you get a little more buy in and engagement. I think in sports because they're they're truly opting in for it of their own kind of choice, and it's usually something they're doing it because they enjoy it, um, and that's that's unique um, that that you don't always can't always get them to buy in in the same way in a school environment um but it still applies later on i can't imagine how this is a conversation i have with the parents i can't imagine having to go through school as little as i liked going to school in the beginning 
I can't imagine having to do it like this where I'd be personally responsible for my own development doing something that I wasn't really, like you said, bought into. Because mm-hmm. what kid really wants to go sit in the school for eight hours other than the fact that they're interacting with their friends. Mm-hmm. It's not like, hey, I can't wait to go to school. You did that when you were five, not when you were yeah. 15. So, yeah. Right. Well, talk about, I think another interesting thing is the um, pursuing goals in the context of a team versus pursuing it as an individual. Um, how do you think, you know, that that is something that is unique to soccer because it's a truly a team sport? Um, yeah, I think that's probably one of the most unique things that you find in our sport is that you have to, at the core of it, you have to be individually motivated and have goals for your own performance, right? How, what do you want to do to get better at what you do? And you do it from a foundation of loving it, you know, even when they do the studies and they go all the way up to the professional athletes and they, they ask, you know, big time professional athletes that have, you know, closets full of medals and trophies and awards. And they say, why did you, why do you do this? And the number one answer is it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we can't lose that. But that individual um, motivation that comes kind of, it starts off, I think, somewhat intrinsically, but then it's then um, supported by a team. And then the second part of that is in this team, now you're asked and you're taught how to be selfless. So you're trying to be really good for your own self, but then there's also this accountability that comes from, if I don't get better at my craft, am I hurting my teammates? Mm-hmm. And then you may see a teammate that really works hard at his craft and that person helps kind of hold you accountable to that work effort. I see this at the college level big time once these guys get to where I'm at at the age of 19 to 23 is you see guys that come in that maybe have developed a certain habit of pursuing excellence and you see a switch in them in those just quick three to four years in college because they're now being challenged at a different level but they also recognize their value to a team and they don't want to let the team down and so that in a that kind of all-encompassing lesson that I need to pursue excellence because I need to be excellent. That's how I was created. But then also, I'm now I'm now accountable to a, a group of men, a group of peers around me, and I want us to succeed, and I play a part in that. Mm-hmm. Man, imagine those lessons as you step into life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You often hear with professional athletes, the one thing they miss more than anything, it's not the game, it's the, the locker room. Mm-hmm. They talk about it. They say the locker room where they're with the guys, they're just having a laugh, they're doing whatever. Uh, it's that camaraderie, it's that bond mm-hmm. that they share, that common goal. And uh, I mean, I've seen it a, a million times. The, the tighter the team, the better the results tend to be. Uh, the looser the team, the worse the results tend to be. So I think there is a, a definite tie-in between that camaraderie and that uh, team aspect that you can take greater pleasure in knowing that you worked for someone else and with someone else than you can you're the only one that's going to celebrate you whereas I can celebrate Kevin and I can celebrate Alec if we do this together Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, absolutely what would be like a a sports experience for either of you that that's really shaped you or uh, as a leader or in your character or or how you want to to lead your organizations uh, mine was Excuse me. Mine was pretty simple. Uh, I 
look back, it was U16. We were playing in the national finals, and with this team, I was I went from being a starter to being kind of a bench player to being kind of a, very much a role player. And the conversation that I had with the coach that I had, and I was very lucky to have the coaches that I had in the past, and this particular one was a three-sport professional. He played professional football. He was a kicker for the Jets. He was in the uh, Toronto Blue Jays farm system as a shortstop, and he played for the NASL Stars. So he knew what it took to get to the next level, and he basically wow. pulled me aside and said, you're just not working hard enough. You have the ability, but you're just not working. And I think that kind of goes back to the accountability piece to my teammates of, hey, you can have the ability, but if you're not doing it, if you're not working hard enough, that it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So it was a kind of a moment in time for me where I didn't even know if I wanted to play anymore because the passion for the game had kind of waned and I didn't know. Then I took a couple months off and I, I loved it and I haven't stopped since. So that's kind of the, the piece that formed me what do you want to do? And it was at a young age that I went, I love this game. I love what I do. How can I continue to do it? And I had to make that choice of this is this is what I'm going to do to do this until I'm mm -hmm. old now. <laughs> when, do you, when do you think you realized that that conversation with that coach, that he actually was doing the right thing there? Or were you at first maybe upset that he was – saying you weren't working hard enough. You know, it's ocean. always a smack in the mouth when somebody gives you the, the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, so it probably wasn't right away, but it, like again, I had a couple months. We're playing in the national final. You have you used to have a couple months between the end of the national final and the beginning of your next season. Now it kind of all runs together, but I had that time to kind of reflect on what he said and then maybe go back to examples of where I could have done something differently. Uh, that, talking to my parents, uh, talking to the guys on the team, what, you know, Mm -hmm. just different things and yeah I, I think it was it was a progression over time of me realizing where mm -hmm. I could be better and do I want to be better and mm -hmm. that's probably yeah. the biggest piece of it did I want to be better I obviously mm -hmm. said yeah <laughs> so yeah what, do you, what are you next steps what are you going to do right and sports kind of gives you that um, platform and sort of facilitates those types of con honest conversations that maybe it's easier to take that in that context because you have common goals you have a set expectations and he's being honest with you and it's like okay you learn how to take feedback in maybe a better way through that process so yeah Kevin how about you yeah I probably don't have one specific instance that shaped mine is um, probably having been involved in two different sports so mm. soccer was my passion I loved it and I played it um, and that gave me that sense of camaraderie like you were talking about just love being around teams and guys and their buddies of yours and you're playing this game together and it's incredibly fun and then I got introduced to track um, when we moved to uh, basically we I grew up overseas so when we, we moved back to the United States I got introduced to track and I ended up being a good at the triple jump and completely different um, sports environment in that triple jump is very very individual mm -hmm. and so the coaches that influenced me uh, incredibly were my track coaches and the thing that I learned from that was this difference of team camaraderie and competing with a team and trying to be great for a team and then I walked over and in triple jump if I didn't work out I didn't jump well 
Mm-hmm. And so it became this individual discipline that was introduced to me that if I wanted to be really good at that, I had to work. I couldn't rely on anybody else. And even mm-hmm. the workout, you know, I had a phenomenal jump coach in high school and the workout he would give me meant nothing if I didn't execute the workout. And so my sports experience came from kind of this almost, you know, in a way, a dichotomy between these two atmospheres that really ended up being really shaping me because I just kind of did things, you know, as a kid, I was a bit of a mess. So (laughs) I just kind of did things that were fun. And, but being a part of both of those all of a sudden gave me this passion to, to be good. And I wanted to be good. And I realized that was up to me. And I think that was a big platform moment for me because now even in my successes in my career or even in my you know, family life are due to me wanting to pursue excellence, wanting to be good at what I do and, and to be positively affect the people around mm-hmm. me. So, yeah, there's probably no way you would have developed those habits because you developed habits in sports that you were not applying in your personal life yet, but then you went back yeah. later and then applied them, and now it's actually worked out really well. But right. if you take sports away from kids, um, they they don't develop habits at a young age to to learn um, the process of setting a goal and achieving the goal. You know, right. it's like you eliminate those habits, and that's a per- big issue. Yeah, so, yeah. Talk about, um, let's kind of take a big picture, because I think at this table here, you guys have about 20 years each. That's 40 years. You had me in. We got another 10 or so in youth sports, in coaching. So it's like 50 years of experience. If if we were to kind of, if I were to give you a magic wand and say, okay, what's one thing you could change that's having the biggest negative effect on youth sports? Like, I'm just going to wave a magic wand and erase this negative thing. What would that thing be? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Uh and the answer is pretty dangerous. Um, <laughs> Can I get you in trouble? I, yeah. I think, I guess the way that I would answer it is, is um, you know, obviously I feel like I'm almost old school now, but I think I was allowed to be a part of youth sports uh, and, and just play. And I was, you know, pushed by my coaches. I was challenged by my teammates. But it was really my thing. And so I never really had a sports moment like you we see happen all the time now where a kid at the age of 13 or 14 all of a sudden chooses to quit playing. Right. And you're mesmerized by it because it typically doesn't have anything to do with their talent level. Right. Um, sometimes it does. but it, And then you realize, you know what, this was never their sport. It was their parents' sport or their parents' desire for them to be good or to be involved in this sport and that we don't hand the keys to our kids so it becomes theirs. And so we've heard the term over the last probably five, seven, ten years, that helicopter parent. Um, I didn't grow up in that era, right? I didn't, you know, when I went to games, I think my parents came and supported me, but... You know, they didn't stand on the sidelines of my practice. I guarantee you that. You know what I mean? So I think we we have to give the game back to the kids. And when that happens, because kids, 
I've heard this statement from other coaches and directors and in conversations is something, you know, something to the tune of, you know, the, the kids have changed. The kids haven't changed. You roll a ball out, it doesn't matter whether it's dirt or, you know, multi-million dollar turf, you know, whether it's sticks for goals or a $5,000, you know, quick goal, right? right? You just want to play. You just enjoy it. You just love it. Um, and so I think that's probably one of the biggest things that we're in the middle of right now is just this overbearing pressure on kids to perform. And we just we got to just give the game back to the kids and let them play it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that statement more. Uh, the undue stress on a kid to win a game and have it essentially shape his weekend because somebody's going to be mad at him for performing or she performing poorly or the team losing it's just it's a foreign concept to me in the fact that why like what is it what is that particular weekend you can go 10 years from now 20 years from now ask that kid about that weekend and they couldn't tell you what happened in the game but what they can do is they can tell you how it maybe made them want to quit the game so that bigger picture that that negative aspect that we're that I feel we're putting on the kids, I think is having a massive influence on even the development piece that we're seeing in the kids. They don't without a structured practice, they won't go out and just play. You just talked about sticks. Like things in my head just pop like, oh my gosh, I remember building my own goals. I remember whether it be sticks, shoes, whatever. Right. Kids don't do that anymore because everything we have is structured for them. And again, it does tend to lead or tend to focus around where the parents can get them, when they can get them there, and then they're going to stay and they're going to watch. And there's still, there's never any time for them to just play and be a kid. You know, backyard games, you don't see them hardly no, anymore. They're dead. They're dead. Yeah. You know, oh, well, Johnny's got practice at this tonight and that tonight and that tonight, da 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 da. That still is is structured for them, and it takes away a lot of their own personal uh, thoughtfulness, creativity, things of that. We don't see creative kids as many as much as we used to in the past, and that's I simply think it's because of the structure and the burden we put on these kids. To this is how you do it. This is what happens, and then this will be the end result. That's the other piece of this. I've yet to see a twelve-year-old that's played in the professional ranks so <laughs> it's like we're not we're building a kid that that has great ability and then we're trying to give them all the stuff that maybe we're talking about and how we got together from a value standpoint we're trying to build good people that may turn in they could be a banker i, I don't know but the, these things that we're giving them right now are going to influence them down the future but we still have to let them be who they're going to be without pushing them down a road that's absolutely yeah, I think maybe another negative thing as I've thought about through youth sports is um, is maybe just the opportunities right Jeff kind of alluded to it there is you know if you have a parent who can get you to practice and has the ability to drive you halfway across the city four nights a week to do three different sports you may get that opportunity now and then on top of that you've got to be able to pay for it right? right and so part of it is is that structure is good and it's also then taken away opportunities across the board I think socioeconomically there's definitely a divide right is what kids can do certain things and what kids can't and 
you know, again, I think going back to what we're kind of talking about here with the sticks and the shoes, it's street soccer. Yeah. Right. It's what we've, that's kind of the, what I've always called it is street right. soccer. Man, you look at the history of the game even and just the development of kids and even the way I was developed. I mean, I grew up overseas. I didn't play organized soccer until I moved to the United States at the age of 13, but I still learned how to play. Right. And I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what a, I didn't know what a coach was until I was a teenager. But I played a ton of soccer. Right. And so I think that opportunity for, that kind of bridges all socioeconomic backgrounds instead of being restrictive is a part of the youth game. Uh, and I would say, um, I guess I should be careful to talk about other sports, but I would say kind of across the sports curriculum and not just specific to soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I I come in it from I kind of feel like I have a unique perspective in in that light because I have experience with working with um, Johnson County parents in a, a wealthy county and having over-involved parents, and then I have I work in Wyandotte County with parents who are completely uninvolved, um, and I think we need we need engaged parents. Um, but there's a difference between engaged parents um, and involved and helicopter parents. Um, yeah. Helicopter parents rob the experience, the authentic experience that sports is supposed to be for kids where they are in charge in the sense of they're setting their own goals. They're the one wanting to go out and practice. They're the ones wanting to go out and to play. Um, that's important that they take ownership. Um, however, if you have parents that are refuse to see the value of youth sports, which is what happens in a lot of low-income areas. The parents just don't value sports. They see it as the play is not having value and, yeah, and or meaning. A or a waste of time. It's not a character development tool. They just don't see it that way. They, they, they see working um, and making money as the necessary thing, and, and sports is a distraction. Um, and so... They, a lot of times kids will, will play sports, but they won't pursue it in a way that develops their character because they're not setting goals for themselves. They're just going out and having fun, but they're not actually learning the things that you guys have already talked about, how it developed your character. It led to hard conversations. It led to you learning to deal with conflict, work with a team. You don't learn that playing street soccer. Um, what you learn there, if there's no structure, you just learn kind of... Um, individually and you have fun and you enjoy it yeah. but you don't learn the, the true character development things that you actually are the most valuable things in youth sports and so I think there's a balance there um, that we haven't found um, and there's blind spots on both sides of that yeah know? I think one of the pieces that if you dug a little deeper too it's talking about everything we've talked even when we played street soccer you know if you won the game I know if I lost the game yeah I knew it but now you look at, again, the parental piece where I know what this guy, what their record is and that record and how many goals for and how many goals against. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. All you're doing is, again, adding pressure to, to a child that, again, they know if they had a good game. Yeah. There's nobody that knows better than you if you played poorly or you played great. Yeah. There's nobody more than you that if you are actually engaged – you know if you won or you lost that game. So to me, that piece of this winning culture and we have to win and we have to win, I think it has a, a deeper impact on the developmental piece 
from uh, a player holistically, a player overall, where they may not engage deep enough to know what they have to do to get better because, oh, well, my mom and dad are still going to take me to that practice. There's no, there's no buy-in to, and that's kind of one of the things that I had in this magic wand was how do we get kids to take a more active role in their own personal development? Um, the, the piece that I find troubling is the, again, we talked about it, well, this team's 8-0, that team's 4-4. and four. Well, mm-hmm. I want to go play for the 8-0 team. Well, now you're going to get a different, maybe the coach is planning to have you on this developmental path. Well, now your developmental path is completely taken a different direction. Because you've changed because teams and clubs. Yeah. teams and clubs. Yeah. And that, I think, with, the, again, I think it's, you got to dig deep, and we might not have enough time on the podcast to talk about it, but I think there is an underlying piece of that with the developmental part that, when we look at U.S. soccer in general, and I'm talking all across the country and all these different clubs, kids jump from club to club, and we're still where we are. So that's not the answer. What can we do differently that maybe we're all on the same page? We're all doing the same thing. And again, I, I do go back to U.S. soccer, and I think we need a more direct path, a more direct uh, set of rules that we probably need to follow from a coach's standpoint. Uh, whether that be playing, like rolling the ball out and letting them play. Whatever yeah. it is. Well, it sounds. what's interesting is what you're saying is you're talking about more structure. Just from the club's perspective, yeah. not from the kids. Right. <laughs> but you're literally talking about structuring less structure. Correct. Which is an interesting thing. But that's actually what we have to do sometimes. In a highly structured society, we have to build in um, less structure and, and more simplicity in order to allow for more ownership to be taken and more creativity among the kids. And, and that's just a, a cultural awareness that we have to have of ourselves. We yeah. tend to over-structurize youth sports um, and we have to You can say simplify it. I mean, think about when you started and, and Kevin, you started. We were practicing twice a week. Twice a week. Now... For a mid to high level team, it's three times a week minimum. So from the structure, non-structure piece, maybe we say it's only two times a week. And then they go play in a gym the third night. And it's just rolling the ball out and letting them play. That's that's kind of the structurally unstructured kind of thing that I guess sure. in my brain mm-hmm. that we're talking about. Yeah. Part of that club jumping that you kind of referred to is that we, our culture is instant gratification. Right. And so you're right, when, we, when you pay attention to how many games you won or how many goals your kid had or, you know, how much playing time they got versus the other kid or versus the other team, and you jump clubs, you literally take yourself out of one process and insert yourself in the middle of another process. Right. Think about doing that in any other walk of life. Right. You know, if you take a kid during their developmental phase, which is what we're dealing with with youth. And you take and you and all oh, that process isn't good. I'm going to go over here to this process. They weren't there for the beginning of the process that you just moved into, right. and you insert them into the middle of another process, right? So one of the phrases we use in Toka all the time is trust the process, right? And that's the key. There is that it's it's not instant gratification. We're talking about taking a kid if they join us at the youngest ages in both of our clubs at you know four or five for a little kick around and just 
introduce him to the game of toe pokes and you know pullbacks and scoring goals and everybody goes crazy and and then all of a sudden they're 18 years old and they've developed into a full tactical technical psychological player mm-hmm. who's right. well-rounded individual and now we're looking at opportunities for them to go into college potentially right what an incredible process but because it's instant gratification we can't have that 10,000 foot view of our of our kids' development. And I, mm-hmm. as a parent, I, I get caught in it. Right. I'm, I'm guilty as charged, so I'm not preaching everybody here on this podcast. I'm <laughs> saying I live that, you know. Right. Yeah. Something happens in a game, and I start to overanalyze where my daughter's team is and what the coach is doing and what we don't need to be here. But if you can just calm down and go to 10,000 feet right. and look down over it and look at the process holistically from a, in a long calendar, you go, wow, okay, look where look where she's come, look what's happened, look what kind of relationships have been, been developed, look at the character that's been refined, and mm-hmm. look at the skill set that's come, and, right. you know, it's, it's yeah. incredible. But that's, that's a framework that you have decided to submit to, in a sense, that I want, the main goal I'm trying to get out of this for my daughter is, how is this shaping her character? Right. If your framework is... The point of view sports is we got to teach our kids how to win, right? And that may be an important thing to learn how to win at some point at in some the process. Point. Yeah, yeah, at some point there's a but it's it's so. where do you put that? Because you can't have you know five six values that are of equal importance. The right. whole point of values is that they are ordered, where there's one that's higher than another. Right. So that because you you have to pick, you can't always get all of them all at once. Right. And you had to basically say, like, well, okay, I'm frustrated we lost, but my framework, I've put a higher value on character, so I'm going to look at the situation and say, which thing is going to help develop my daughter's character more? Keeping her here and having her push through the frustration will develop her character. So that's why I'm doing that. But if you don't have that framework, you're going to just be like chaos, just swinging back and forth as a parent among which thing seems like is important. We look at... As you go up the ladder in, in youth sports to college, what Kevin has, and then on to pros, the margin between good and great or bad and good is so negligible that if you haven't followed the process, if you haven't done all these steps, you're not going to even get to the next level. And that's where I think we miss. Uh, I, I look at the club that I came from in St. Louis. You you start in that club, you end in that club. I would challenge anyone that's listening to this, look up their record like of kids that they've produced. If you want to just yeah. talk about professional soccer players, let's say, I would challenge anybody to look at that, and I truly do. I sit back and I look at it from the outside right now, even though I'm on the inside, and go, how or why? Mm-hmm. What is What is that process? And I yeah. look at it, and they have kids that come in at five, six, seven, they leave when they're 19, 20. Right. Or they go play. I was still going back and playing U23, which doesn't even, you and I, Kevin, have talked about this, a U23 team after college. Mm-hmm. I was going back and doing that because that was my club. And yeah. all the kids around it were doing it. We don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. Like there, yeah. There's not that that thing for kids that are just out of college mm-hmm. where they just want to play. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. I think people have a hard time trusting the process if they can't. 
if clubs can't say, hey, here's a player who went through the process and out went for them. But the more that happens where clubs can say like, hey, these kids have gone through the whole arc our system pretty much from the beginning to the end and this is the result do you want a similar result you can have a similar result i think i think it's important that clubs be able to um present evidence for their process and not just say trust the process blindly i think they're they should try to say yeah this is these are some of the results and and be able to give testimony of kids sharing how the club impacted them i think that's important because i think that that's something parents should should have a right to to talk about and look at so let's you got something else Kevin? No, no, okay um so we're here this is kind of a unique situation i mean i would say it's pretty unprecedented we use that word a lot in this day and age but but for two clubs to to basically not merge but come together and say like hey let's learn from each other let's see if we can work together um and and help each other improve and grow and do some things together it's pretty unique um type of collaboration um and what i want to ask is like why do we want to do that to me it's very simple i think we you hear a lot of times the kids are the most important thing we sat down and i'll never forget probably one of the first couple meetings we had was uh we all agreed that that is the most important part of this entire process what are we doing to make this a better environment experience for these kids and that's where I thought that our clubs matched so similarly. We had the same vision. We had the same idea. We knew there was flaws in the process. So how can you guys help us? How can we help you? And then what's that going to do for the kids as they come through? And I think that's where I, you mentioned the word merger. And we always, that, that was the first thing we kept. Well, when are you merging? When are you mer-? Well, we're, we're not. Like, we're, we're working together. It's such a foreign concept to people that they couldn't really think that it wasn't. And it was like, no, we know we have flaws, KCSG. We know Toka has flaws. We know that Toka does things really well here. We know that KCSG, how can we put those two together to make sure that the experience for the kids across the board, again, we're not fighting each other mm-hmm. Sure. Ibrahimovic, we're, you know, right. th- these are 12 year old to whatever year old kids. So I think that's the piece that working together, that to me is easy. If you're comfortable in who you are, which I know you guys are and I know we are, I, it, <laughs> there's yeah. no, there should be no problem. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that's what, I think the biggest key in this is, um, Jeff's right. We, we have not seen this done. And when you strip everything back and just look at what we are doing from an organizational standpoint, to literally take leaders in, a, in an industry with a collective experience that equates to you know, 40, 50 years when you add it all together, and you basically say, we're gonna, we're gonna collaborate, we're gonna talk, and discuss ideas, we're gonna agree, we're gonna disagree, we're gonna learn from each other, and oh, by the way, we're not gonna do anything that negatively affects what we already have in place for our kids and our family. Everything's being done at a leadership level, which the trickle-down will absolutely be positive. Mm -hmm. And in, in business models, which, let's be honest, soccer's turned into a massive business, it's 
the reason the word merger is used so often is because that's what you see. You right. see two groups come together. I'm not saying whether it's positive or negative, but the effect on the kids and the families when that happens, there are winners and there are losers in that business deal. Yeah. And we basically just said, listen, we're not doing that. Like KCSG's already doing things really, really well. They've got kids and families and coaches that are incredibly happy and have an incredible experience. Toke FC is doing the same thing. And we're both confident that the brand, if you will, that we've built is strong and positive and it's making an influence within the lives of these kids and these families. But instead of just sitting back and competing against each other, we've come together and said, I think we can be better. You know, and so we share ideas. Yeah. It shouldn't be foreign if you think about it, right? When we speak about it this way, it is so simple and it's who who could listen to that and go, Yeah, that's a terrible idea. Right. Because clubs can get kind of siloed. They don't really talk and learn from each other because they're scared of each other or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. And so we're really not having there's no iron sharpening ironing at the organizational level no. can you imagine so. if kevin walked into mnu and he said i know everything i i'm i'm as good of a coach as i'm ever going to be and that was all he did no he probably watches epl and reads books about that's mm-hmm. taking ideas from somebody else maybe it's not on an active like oh i'm talking to jurgen klopp but i'm taking ideas we just happen to have the the ability we're in the same place why not talk yeah. about what we do well Absolutely. Nobody's a finished product. Right. Yeah. Um, as we think about kind of this project working together, how do you think youth soccer, since we have sort of a big platform among the two clubs, how could we influence all of youth soccer to make Kansas City a better place? Like, what's actually, how's that going to happen? Yeah. I, 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 maybe, maybe it's just the example of what we just talked about, right? Yeah. If we, if what we're doing, is so simplistic but yet positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, why can't it? Why can't it grow? Right. So right. I, I think one of the things is we are typically as coaches and therefore as directors, because a lot of the directors in this industry are either current coaches, former coaches, or former players. We're competitors, mm-hmm. and so and this thirst for competition doesn't die when you stop kicking the ball. Right, But at the same time that we want to teach kids how to use competition within a, the, in the right moments right. And, and make them aware of where competition can actually become negative in the way that you're influenced by it or you react to it. Right. It's the same thing we've done here. Right? We are, we're, we're competitors, so as directors, instead of me looking at you and saying, man, how can we work together? How can we make things better? How can we share ideas? How can we make, you know... The, the opportunity for kids better. We look at each other and we go, we're competitors. So I can't give this information to you right. because somehow this information that I have is so valuable that I <laughs> dare not share it with you, exactly. right? And so I just think that, yeah, that, that fear of what competition does right. uh, keeps us from having these types of conversations. I think maybe one of the things is, is we're doing it. And so can we do it even more? You know, because it's going to be better for the kids in Kansas City, the families in Kansas City, if all of us are discussing how to make changes within the youth game with kids at the forefront of every decision. Right. right. And so it spreads across an incredible city, one of the greatest soccer cities in the country. Yeah. What an incredible platform and opportunity for us if 
we can keep first things first, right? What is the most important thing? And I think maybe that sounds, you know, people listening are probably like, good grief, that sounds like a dream, right? There's no, that's never going to happen. Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I couldn't yeah. agree with you more. I Until somebody does it, nobody's known, and nobody's taken the time or had the want to to do it. I think there's a burden on our two clubs to do this uh, and do as best as we can at it, and I think it, it is producing results. It is producing things that maybe aren't seen by the public view right now, but I do know internally with all the things that we've talked about and the things we have planned for the future, I know it's going to have an impact. I, yeah. I, I feel mm-hmm. comfortable saying that it, it's in a good way, in a positive direction. Yeah. And I think people are so afraid of change, so afraid of different, that until they see it, they're not. They're going to continue down the path because that's the easy path. It's just one direction and, hey, we're going to go, we're going to take care of ourselves. I, I think this opportunity that's been presented to us and the way we've taken it, uh, I think can have a very big impact on the community in general and like Kevin's talked about more people might want to be a part of that which would be right there that's a change to me yeah yeah Yeah. to me it seems like it's a little bit of that like kind of a rising tide lifts all boats and in the sense of if, if our two clubs can create a relationship where we're not trying to sabotage the other club or something but just learn from each other, sharpen each other, that while we're not going to have every single club in the city be a part of this collaboration, um, they can. we're modeling that type of relationship with clubs. And other clubs can form those types of relationships with each other where they maybe have similar, they have similar vision in some ways or, or they're in a similar stage in their organizational development. And so they're like, let's work together. Let's get together and talk about our organizations and figure out how we can do this better. And now we're kind of modeling that type of um, pursuit of excellence in a collaborative way, even with even with your competitors. And I think that really could shift the whole narrative of, of youth sports and Kansas City youth soccer away from just like, okay, we got to win, we got to make as much money as we can, we got to have all the best, whatever. To hey, how do we create an unbelievable experience for our kids, where less kids are quitting youth sports? And they're sticking with it. They're playing it. They're having experiences with their coaches and with their clubs where they're sticking to the process um, with their club, going through the journey with them, developing character. And they walk away, and these people are going into the work world and going to leadership positions in our city with a mindset of character matters, um, the process matters, pursuit of excellence matters. You know what I mean? Those things are important. And... I think that 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 could really begin to shift the culture of an entire city in subtle ways. Yeah. Well, you just brought up a great point of business. When these kids are done, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of them are going to be something other than a soccer player, right. a so, professional adult. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Not very many of those exactly. these days. <laughs> but the the possibility of hey, these kids now maybe they make a relationship because we're sharing a player. So they know that person. And I'm not talking immediate gratification. I'm talking right. about, again, professional adultism where you go into the workforce and now you meet somebody that is in a position to hire you or teammate or whatever it is. You've made those connections. Life is a 
it's all connections and it's all relationships. And if you have the more relationships you have and in a better way, the better off everything. That sounded really cheesy, but I truly no, do. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah. 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 So we've talked kind of big picture a little bit. Do do we want to go into just a few examples so, you know, other organizations have an idea of what do we actually mean when we're working together? Maybe we they're can't thinking tell anybody that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they kind of know what what maybe maybe they got a basketball club or something and they're thinking, "Hey, I wonder what it would look like to to work with another club. What could that look like?" Yeah, I think the I think it's amazing when you when you do that, right? You open up the lines of communication. And that is such a big step. And then you begin to say, okay, well, what is the real tangible thing that I can put my hands on? What did we actually do? And there's so many examples, way, way too many already in the first six months of this for this podcast. But I would just say I'd give, you know, two quick examples. On the administrative side, uh, as we begun this process, we were faced with an unknown uh, pandemic to any of us. And so just from the organizational side, the leadership side, being able to discuss how were we going to deal with this COVID pandemic with kids in mind, the ability to share ideas and to hear what you guys were doing versus what we were thinking about doing, uh, just it just provided a, a platform or a foundation for the decision that we made to be done with a lot of input and a lot of thought and right. open discussion. Um, and therefore, when we executed the plan of how to deal with COVID, right. I, I'm obviously biased, but I think we did it, as I look back, in the best possible way we could have without having a playbook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Yeah, like our retention still... our retention after COVID, I, I don't know, it, yeah, was, it was under strong. 10% that we yeah, lost. Maybe it was only... Yeah, I'm not, not sure what the data yeah. was, but yeah, it was it, those types of measurables would be interesting to go look at. Right. But, you know, I, I know that had we not started down this path of collaboration, just being able to open communication lines, I would have been tasked as the director to speak to my own directors and my own staff and come up with an idea. But it would I wouldn't have had as many thoughts and ideas had we not been able to do that. So that's kind of one thing on the administrative side. On the direct kind of player involvement, player, um, I guess, experience side, uh, was what we do with, with what we're doing right now with leagues, right? right? Is the, what we're offering in the winter for our players. Right. And we would still offer those things had we not done this, but when we're doing it together, and, and now we're even reaching outside of us and going and doing this with multiple clubs right. in Kansas City, we're providing an opportunity for development through the winter that hasn't existed in the past. The college showcase. I mean, right. that, that, one, that one to me is a tangible piece of kids wouldn't have gotten the opportunity. Mm-hmm. We collaborated in a way. You guys had fields, we had fields. Okay, how can we use all those fields? How can we get as many coaches? How can we get as right. many kids in front of those college coaches as possible? Yeah. So now our high school kids are getting an opportunity to do something that we again, like you said, we may have put it on, right. but it wouldn't have been as high level, right? Good. So right there, to me, that's a. Yeah. If if we can get a kid a college scholarship out of the weekend that we create or the day we create, man, we've done something pretty darn special. Right, and it's with 
like we said, it's with the kid in mind. Right. So, yeah. So there's just a couple examples of many, many, many. But, um, yeah. yeah. And I good. think yeah. the one thing that I'm, I guess, uh, not most proud of, but very, very proud of is the way that we have collaborated. And, and uh, we already have coaches reaching out to each other. Hey, I'm short a player here. Hey, I'm short. And the trust that it takes, and I know this may to the people on the podcast not sound very important, but again, in our market and what we do, I think it's massively important. The fact that a coach from Toka can call a coach from KCSG and say, hey, I'm short two players this weekend. Do you have? Mm -hmm. And the KCSG coach trusting the Toka group enough to say, yeah. And what I mean by the trust, it's, hey, they're not going to sell them on Toka this weekend while they're there. Yeah. You know, it's, hey, I'm just, you're more thankful for the usage than you are worried Mm -hmm. about yourself. Right. That, to me, is a massive step in this whole thing, um, in the the landscape of what we've, yeah, what we've had in the past, I guess. Yeah, I think a big part of that too is there can be trust there because we both um, are committed to the process and training our players and coaches to think about the process. So it would we don't try to like constantly uproot kids from other clubs and get them into our club. Right. We're more focused on watering and kind of nurturing you know the kids that are in our garden so to speak that we're trying to help grow we're not constantly trying to recruit away because we're focused on the process for our kids and we know that it's the same for you guys so we're not going to try to uproot them because we're like hey stick with your process like your coach is on a journey he's taking you this way we're going to encourage them to stay where they're planted um and there that's why i think you can allow them more freedom to go and do other things when you have a good foundation there you know both clubs share that same value so yeah let's um let's talk a little bit kind of um as we sort of wrap things up kind of with final advice and things like that um something at community for coaches that we talk about a lot is helping coaches develop a why a reason for coaching like why do they get up you know go out there in the evening or whatever it is and and coach and how are they trying to impact their players? Like, what's their reason for coaching? So who could who could talk a little bit about that? Uh, I think it goes back to the same reason you play. you got to love it. You have to love to coach. You have to love to be around the kids. And you have to get up every day and ask, how can I improve that kid? How can I improve that one kid, those group of kids, whatever it may be? I would tell them to gather as much information. And I'll be the first to tell you on this, that I was not a big licensing guy. However, I've taken a piece out of every licensing class, then the interactions that I've had with other coaches, uh, their experiences has been a lot. Like it's, it's changed the way I look at that stuff. I'm not necessarily going for the big picture, I'm going to pick pieces out. So get as much information as you can. Um, that to me is, is probably something that I've evolved and changed in not that, again, not that I'm saying that I knew it all. I just didn't know the value until I actually got in. Now I can see the value because I come back and we'll talk about, oh, well, you know, the B license, C license, whatever it may be. Oh, well, they talked about this. Yeah, but they also talked about this, this, and this. And it's the processes that we, that we are faced with. We had a director of coaching course. And it was across the board of everything from lining a field to the phone calls from parents, whatever you can think of. And it just kind of gives you a perspective, a different perspective of a way to solve a problem that you may face. 
So if you can do that, that to me, but that, that loving the, loving the, what you do is, is the big thing. You have to love to do it. You can't be out there to just collect a paycheck. You can't be out there. Oh man. And I'm not saying you don't get drugged down through the season where you might have a day or two where it's sure. tough, but you've got to really yeah. love to do what you're doing. So if a kid played for you for four or five years, what do you hope that he walks away with? after that, that plan for you that I actually cared about him and his development or her development and I cared about them not even on the field but off the field they could call me <clears throat> I've had I've coached 18 year old girls I've coached six year old boys I mean it's been a gamut of whatever and at the end uh, it's nice to have those kids that call you and mm-hmm. ask you about this or that and it has nothing to do with soccer and it's right. it's kind of fulfilling but I want all the parents uh, of those kids to know that I care. They're, they're right. kids in safe hands with when they're right. with me and that I really care about their development as a person more than I do about the player. Right. So they walk away basically like knowing their value or yeah. having their value be affirmed in a meaningful way. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. How about yeah. you, Kevin? Yeah, my why is was has been created around – um, being a college coach, so it's kind of in that realm of 19 to, well, 18 to 24-year-old guys, specifically men. Um, and so my why, um, you know, was way different when I started <laughs> and, than it is now. And hmm. uh, I think that's important because, um, again, what I would say transparently is my why at the beginning was very, very selfish is I just loved the game and I wanted to be around it and I wanted to coach it and I didn't want to do anything else. And so, you know, thank God I found a career path that allowed me to do that. But as I got into it and realized, man, this is, I have such a unique opportunity to impact the lives of young men through an incredibly influential time in their life. And so my why has developed into uh, creating and refining leadership. Mm. Um, I didn't used to say create leadership. Um, That's been kind of a nuance or an evolution of my thoughts. And as I've seen culture change and kids change, um, I think. But I think that's one of your greatest attributes. I really do. I think you are very good at that aspect. Well, I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting watching. And I think it's one of the things that I challenge myself on is to pay attention. The reason I didn't, now I say create is because I think we have a lack of leadership in our communities, in our culture. And so I think if I have just a small piece to play in taking every single guy who plays for me at the college level and helping create leadership, let them understand that every single person has leadership opportunities and abilities. This whole thing of you're born a leader, I used to completely believe it I now think it is one of the worst statements out there because what if I'm what if I'm not born a leader I don't agree exactly so I think I said create leadership and refine I do get guys that come to me with incredible leadership qualities already my job then is to help refine that but I do get guys who come to me who do not believe that they are leaders at any capacity and over the years that they're with me I want to create leadership within them because I think our culture and even if it's what I tell the guys is even if it's simple level you at some level you're going to be the leader of your home right so yeah even if your leadership is just simply 
confined to that small atmosphere. How important is that, right? right. Incredibly important. So that's kind of been my why is to create and refine leadership. Yeah, love it. What what final advice do you have to new coaches or um, people leading youth 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 um, soccer or sports organizations? Find a value, find a club that you value, and find the club that has the same values as what you value. Mm-hmm. Um, bouncing around is kind of the same thing as the kid piece. Find just find something, find an organization that really believes in what you believe in and can let you it can help you grow mm-hmm. as a as a coach or as a leader you might not even be a coach you might just be a leader or you might be something within the organization but find an organization that you truly believe in and you truly see a pathway to growth as, as a person because that's the only way you're going to get fulfillment and the only way you're going to be able to yeah. help kids yeah. in that organization is if you truly believe that you're making a difference mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think the i think the answer to that question is exactly the question that you just asked us i think the most important thing for a young coach or anyone in any sport wanting to get into coaching is to is to define the why yeah. because you, you need to be honest brutally honest with yourself the damage that i've seen done to kids is when it's absolutely apparent that the why of a coach has nothing to do with the kids and everything about their own ego or their own accomplishments or the fact that they want to be able to walk into work on Monday morning with their chest puffed out because they won, you know, League 3 in Heartland with a 6-1-1 record, you know, with U13 Division 4. Like, it's not about the kids, it's about them. And so I would say as a a young coach is what is... Find out what your why is and, and be yeah. brutally honest so that if you find out that your why is, you know, I want to make a little bit of extra money or I want to somehow build my youth coaching resume for me, please, dear God, do not do this. <laughs> yes. Right. But yes. if your why is I want to impact kids, I want to give them an incredible opportunity. I want to immerse myself in this industry that can make a change and be incredibly fun. Yeah. Dude. Jump in with both feet first if that's your why, but you got to find that why. I agree. I think we'll end with that. It was really good. Thanks so much for coming on, guys, and and yeah. this is a great discussion. I think a lot of people are gonna love it. So, um, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Community for Coaches podcast. And big thanks to Jeff and Kevin for coming out and sharing their wisdom. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about Toka FC or Kansas City Scott Gallagher, I will have those links in the description. And until next time, keep coaching with purpose.